amazing Pleasure Town listeners. Uh, you should be hearing Keith's voice right now, but we forgot to record him last time he was in the studio. And the reason we forgot was a very excellent reason. It's because we were recording the voices for episode one of season two. An excellent cast, amazing scripts. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. But that doesn't happen for another two weeks, and we've got a lot of stuff before that. First and foremost, we're closing out our mini-sode run. We had six before this. Great, great mini-sodes. If you haven't listened to them, please go back, check them out. This is the last of our mini-sodes and the last of our mini-sodes written by our fans. This one written by Bob Garrick. Bob, thank you so much. I hope you love it. It's a great script. It's going to be a great listen. As you know, we've been asking for a historical figure that we're going to put in in season two. We got amazing submissions on that. Thank you so very much. And we'll be making that announcement later once we have some more details about the script that it's going in. Also, as you know, we are running a Kickstarter. You guys have been absolutely amazing. We are at 65% right now as I record this. I know we're going to make our goal and I know you're going to be a part of that. Please go to PleasureTownShow.com. You'll see the links there or you can search for Pleasure Town on Kickstarter. We really do need your help to make this show as good as it can be. So head over there, uh, show a little financial love, put a vote in the hat for Pleasure Town. We would greatly appreciate it. And I think that's it. A lot of stuff on the top of the show. Season two begins in just under two weeks. Cannot believe it. I am excited. Help us out on Kickstarter and enjoy this minisode. You ever think about how you got here, Claude? Through a lot of pain and suffering. I'm not talking about how we shuffled off that mortal coil. I'm talking about our pilgrimage to the landscape we consecrated together. <laughs> that was one wild ride. Like the Odyssey or the Iliad, our story is about the journey and not just about the destination. Man is inherently nomadic. Oh, Jesus. Here we go again. But as with life, folks realize too late that it is not about the destination but about the journey. Unless that destination includes a bottle of rye and some willing female companionship. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Huh. I have to say, I'm impressed. You ain't the only one who ever read a book. Found my taste more suited to whiskey than Whitman. Man tends to ignore the world around him. He doesn't open himself up to his surroundings. He doesn't take the time to smell these roses. The only use I ever found for a rosebud was to get a willing young lass to open up her... Folks don't consider their own mortality. They don't stop to drink it all in. I always took the time to drink it in. But did you appreciate your life when you were living it? Carpe diem, so to speak. Carpe diem? Damn it, Cy. We're dead. True. But some folks never see what's important, even when it's staring them in the face. Always striving for what's next. Never appreciating what they have until it's gone. You're talking about Tommy Jenks, aren't you? And though he never was a part of Pleasure Town, he fell victim to it nonetheless. That poor, stupid son of a bitch never had a chance.
My Caroline is a delicate flower, and like the flowers she handled every day when I met her, she could not handle the harshness of the world around her. She is too precious, too fragile. I knew it the moment I laid eyes on her outside the back door of that little flower shop in the heart of New York City. I'd only been in the city for a few days when I joined a crew that delivered flora and fauna to the florists and grocers all over the city. It was back-straining but not back-breaking work as I moved crates from truck to store for ten hours a day. It started out as just an ordinary stop, but her fiery red locks and that sprinkling of freckles instantly mesmerized me as she lifted the crate from my arms, leaving me dumbstruck. Sure, she smiled at my awkwardness, but I knew in that instant that I was put on this earth to protect and treasure that flower. Fate has always kept her eye on me. She was there when my childhood home caught on fire, leading me out a second-story window, while my home collapsed minutes later into a burning wreckage claiming the lives of both my parents and my unwed sister with her newly-born child. Fate also smiled on me when the bank arranged the sale of my parents' property, leaving me a moderately wealthy young man at the age of 19. But as any young man of means finds as he enjoys what life has to offer, the cash value of a property does not endure as does the property itself, and soon after I found myself with a pile of bills and no means with which to pay them. And it was then that Lady Fate smiled and offered me an open boxcar door on a slow-moving train that took me to New York City and to my Caroline. After a three-week courtship, I was emboldened to ask Miss Caroline Carmichael for her hand, and fate blessed me with her acceptance. We quickly married, and I moved into her small basement apartment in a less-than-desirable section of the city. I have never been so happy as the time spent with her those first few weeks. Having no money for a proper honeymoon, we celebrated our love modestly and spoke of our future together. It was then that I first heard of Pleasure Town. Pleasure, but not at the expense of your neighbor. Ecstasy, but not at the expense of the town. Isn't that something? That sounds nice. Real nice. Anything for my flower. It was midsummer, and I did not want Caroline to endure the bite of another bone chill in winter. I felt awful enough needing her to continue her employment at the flower shop, but with my delivery scaled back until autumn, I wasn't making but half of what I was a few short weeks earlier. I had no choice but to make money another way. I had very little experience with horse racing. I learned the mechanics of the thing, playing odds, studying the race sheets, and picking the long shots. And when I finally had a system worked out, I learned that no system was perfect. With my next week's pay, I'd taken to a friendly game of chance after work, shooting dice with some of the men from the delivery crew. These men were an unsavory lot, but the game was on the up and up, and once I discovered that all I had to do was follow the lead of one particularly ugly brute named Hector, I found my luck had finally turned. If he bet the point, I bet the point. If he passed, I passed. But as it turns out, etiquette dictates that a man make his own bets. The displeasure on Hector's scarred and unshaven face was clear once he noticed what I was doing. That scar on his face ran from his right eye to the corner of his mouth, a rictus grin that was anything but merry. However, when I tried my own luck, I lost more than I won. And whenever I snuck in a bed alongside Hector's, he'd stare me down. Finally, when I was down to my last dollar, I placed my bet when Hector dropped his entire bankroll on a single throw of the dice. The boisterous camaraderie of the men vanished as the cash was laid. We watched 
as the shooter, a little Portuguese man, nervously threw the dice. His point was eight. Hector needed another eight before the shooter threw another seven. The little man sweat as he rattled the dice in his hand. He threw a six and the crowd sighed. Next, he shot nine and the tension built. Everyone knew a seven was the most likely result. Finally, the man cast the dice in the circle of onlookers watched as the cubes landed on a pair of fours. Eight. The crowd erupted. My last dollar was gone. But in an act of complete desperation, I leaned in to snatch back my coin when, with no prior forethought, I scooped up Hector's money and ran. I had cleared the end of the block before I heard any sounds of pursuit. But fate smiled on me that day, and in just a few short blocks, I'd shaken my pursuers, my hands still clutching the bouquet of bills. When I oriented myself in the great city, I understood why fate had led me here. A short time later, I scampered down the basement steps to our apartment and burst through the door. Get your bags, pack your things, we are leaving the city tonight. Tommy Jenks, what are you going on about? I'm talking about taking you away from all of this, but we have to go now. I picked her up and spun her around. It is high time we move into the next chapter of our lives. But the flower shop, your work, how The Lord and your husband, I showed her the money, will provide. We were on a train heading out of the city by sunset. Caroline had many questions, but I assured her that everything was fine. I told my Caroline that we were moving to the place that she had read about in the newspaper, that pleasure town. And at that, her worry turned to wonderment. And, like a dutiful wife, she deferred to my judgment and we settled into the trip to St. Louis. I spent the whole first day on the train scrutinizing every passenger. Once I thought I noted a man with a scar from his right eye, but the image was fleeting and from a great distance. And at the time, I was trying to respond to Caroline's questions about our hasty departure, and when I turned back, the man was gone. Ultimately, I discounted the vision, for after our meal was complete, while Caroline dozed off the precious thing, I walked the train in search of the man. Finding no one, I ultimately settled in alongside my bride and read the newspaper article that has brought us this far. The article about Pleasure Town. When we reached St. Louis, we'd changed trains to carry us through to Arkansas and into Oklahoma. I noted the name of the little town in Oklahoma where we'd have to disembark so we could travel the rest of the way to Pleasure Town. As the locomotive pulled into St. Louis, we gathered our meager belongings and left the train. The station was a hub of activity. Gateway to the West was no understatement. The number of people milling about the station rivaled that of the city from which we fled. Caroline stayed close to me as I made my way to the ticket agent and purchased two fares to Oklahoma. And as luck would have it, the outbound train was beginning to board on a platform nearby. Caroline, that gentle soul, was completely overwhelmed by the bustle of the travelers around us, so I took her hand firmly and she followed me without question. Just one more train and we'll be in Oklahoma by this time tomorrow. Oh, Tommy, this is so very exciting. I never thought I'd live to see the day. I smiled and gave her a quick kiss on the cheek. We need to hurry. Our future awaits. But as I turned to the train, I suddenly found myself face to face with Hector. His red scar burned down the side of his face. A small pistol was in his meaty hand. He sneered at me as I positioned myself to shield Caroline from the brute. I stood there, 
transfixed as he expertly plucked the remaining bills from my breast pocket. Then there was a muffled pop, and I felt a sting in my side and back. But with the commotion of the other travelers passing all around us, no one noticed anything. I pulled my hand from my abdomen, and it came away crimson. I was shot. I looked to Hector, but the man had vanished as suddenly as he appeared. It did not matter. My path was set. My purpose clear. Fate continued to guide me, for my other hand still clutched the train tickets. Steeling myself against the pain, I reached for Caroline with my unsullied hand and led her on aboard the train. If Caroline suspected anything, she didn't say as I led her to our seats. I gave her the seat by the window as I dropped into the seat by the aisle. The pain from my wound was intense but bearable, enough that I could maintain my pretense. So I straightened in my seat, clutched my wife's hand, and sat stock still as the train pulled from the station. Caroline had turned toward the window, and I let her enjoy the scenery as the landscape flattened out into an unending plain. I sat with her for a few more minutes before I excused myself to the privy. I didn't draw any attention to my predicament as I wove through the passengers mingling about the car. And, once in the washroom, I removed my coat and examined my shirt. The front of the garment was soaked red with blood. I tried to fashion a bandage from the remnants of my shirt, but I found that I had a second wound directly behind the first. I thought I had been shot twice, and then I realized instead that Hector's single bullet had caused two wounds. The bullet traveled through the flesh above my hip and exited out my back. I thanked fate again for making the best of a very bad situation. Lead bullets embedded in a human body could poison a body if left unattended. Luckily, I had only to endure the damage caused by that bullet and not any residual toxins. I worked to fashion bandages for my wounds in the confined space, using some of the base linens provided by the railway. I used my belt to maintain pressure and to staunch the bleeding. I had to stop from time to time as I struggled to stay alert. I lost consciousness on two occasions until finally someone's banging on the door aroused me. I told the trespasser that I would still need a moment and I focused on securing the rest of my makeshift dressing. I'd lost so much blood and now I knew my journey was coming to an end. I put on a brave face for Caroline. I donned my coat, fastened my buttons, and exited. I made my way back to Caroline. My dearest, I am so sorry but I fear that I won't be joining you at Pleasure Town. Now, before you speak, let me explain. And I told her the whole story, from the gambling to the thievery to the, to the confrontation with Hector and St. Louis. I am quite sure that my wounds will claim me before we reach our destination, so we must continue on separately. I gave her hand a reassurance squeeze, but she did not respond to my delicate touch. We rode in silence together for the rest of the afternoon, neither of us speaking to each other again there was nothing left to say. The next morning, I found it near impossible to open my eyes as I heard the conductor call for our station. I was so weak, so tired, but one might as well try to stop the sunrise. For as the train came to rest at the station, I leaned in, kissed my Caroline one last time, pulled myself up and stumbled off the train, leaving Caroline and all our possessions behind. I stood on the platform as the train whistled and lurched from the station. It was over. 
the love of my life, the delicate flower that fate had bestowed upon me, was gone. I watched as the train rolled out. I scanned the window until I saw Caroline and her lifeless eyes. The bullet that had passed through me so easily had taken her life as efficiently as if snipped by prune and shears. I forced myself to look into her clouded blue eyes as they stared beyond me at the Oklahoma landscape. When the train was out of sight, I staggered from the station and followed the signpost to Pleasure Town. And if a man could survive on sheer will alone, I think Tommy Jinks might have made it. He died just outside the city limits. Lost a lot of blood. The buzzards had been at him for over an hour before anyone took notice. And just as Zeus punished Prometheus, the buzzards pecked at his liver before Deuteronomy could dispatch the carrion birds that fed on him. Sigh. Sometimes a dead body is just a dead body. Claudius? You of all people know that not to be true. Aaron again. Of course, you should be listening to Emily here, but again, really busy Saturday. A dramatic serial podcast is a lot of work. Speaking of work, here's the crew that made this episode happen. First and foremost, you, our amazing audience. Help us know you're out there by liking on Facebook, following on Twitter, rate and review on iTunes, and throwing a little love towards our Kickstarter. This week, our backer bonus is a new Shaman John piece that you won't hear in Season 2, but you have to give before April 29th to get it, so get on it. Pleasure Town is produced by Keith Ecker and me, Aaron Cahoe. Our associate producer is Emily Modaff. We are a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network, and we owe our firstborn to Joe Dassault. This episode was written by Minnesota Contest winner Bob Garrick and performed by Michael Lavalley and Abigail Phelps. Sound designed by David Novak and original music by the two talented for their own good, Megan Diger and Tim Hazen, also known as River Rising. Season 2 begins on May 6th. Until then, dear listeners. Until then. Hey, it's Aaron one last time. I am... I need your help for an upcoming episode of Pleasure Town. If you're an avid reader, specifically books written prior to 1930, and you'd like to help shape a story about Cyrus, then send us an email. PleasureTownShow at gmail.com with the subject line, Cyrus. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I really do need your help. Okay, thanks.